Hi, this is presenter Crystal Dinapoli, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity, a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R each Sunday afternoon. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU. Yama, and welcome to today's show. We are going to be speaking with renowned Gunai poet Curly Saunders. Curly is an accomplished international writer, artist, and cultural consultant. Her impactful contributions span poetry, plays, picture books, and more. And she's received numerous awards and accolades, including being named the New South Wales Aboriginal Woman of the Year in 2020. We're here today to talk about Curly's recently re- recently published book, Returning, which is a poetic visual feast accompanying her artworks along with her beautiful, beautiful poems. Um, and so Returning captures the profound and complex emotions that come with rediscovering oneself, country and connection. So in Returning, Curly addresses contemporary themes of decolonization, self-determination, First Nations matriarchy, queerness, justice, love, liberation and truth-telling, covering some of the, I guess, very substantial events that have occurred in Curly's life and bringing us along on that journey with her. So uh, looking forward to this chat with Curly and uh, let's get the show started. Hi, Curly, welcome to Indigenuity. Ah, uh, thank you, my sis. I'm joining you from Barrowall Lands today, so um, giving my love to the to the ancestors here and to um, the mob on all the countries that you're you're tuning in tuning in to uh, as as you're joining us. Yeah, it's a, a treat to be yarning with you. Yeah, it's so lovely. Um, you and I have crossed paths a few times over the years, so it's it's wonderful again, as, as always, to meet up in this sort of manner. Um, oh. I wanted to start off by asking if you, because you have this wonderful book that's just come out this month called Returning, and this is a poetic odyssey, and it's really seemingly an exploration of so many key moments in your life and this journey that you're on. I was wondering if you could speak to some of the themes that you've uh, addressed in Returning for us. Yeah, I mean, decolonization is a really core part of Returning. Um, I had gone to see, uh, I was part of a workshop that Genevieve Greaves uh, ran with Shifting Ground and I just started this uncoupling from the colony in that moment, I think. I was listening to Pokola Nui's academic theory of of how decolonization works and started to really think about what that would look like in my life. And then I yarned with Dr. Lily Brown and Jen um, and Lily, of course, amazing um, yeah, practitioner in her own right, did a bunch of work down in, in Nam um, and is currently up in Yaru as the CEO for Magabala. She's a guru, both of them are. And we spoke a little bit about indigenizing. So this idea of, you know, Eve, um, Tuck and Yang speak a lot, a lot about decolonization being the repatriation of land and life and how challenging it is to actually do that because it's not just a metaphor. This idea of, you know, um, giving back land and life, indigenous land and life is a real thing. And so in the context of Australia, being able to give back land, as we know as blackfellas, is a, con- you know, a tricky thing. And then, um yeah, our our babies, you know, are still being incarcerated and um, giving back life is is challenging too. So what can we do? And Lily opened up this idea of indigenizing that we can keep up coming back to culture and kin and, and keep checking our own processes um, for how we engage with uh, white ways of thinking and being and instead opting for our ways of being and thinking. And so I started that journey 
kind of in a in a thinking sense and then in an embodiment in my life at the same time as the bushfires of 2019 and 20 um the black lives matter movement at that time got a hashtag you know it's stuff our mob have been fighting for for all times and um yeah and at the same time i was also we we had covid right so we were in lockdown and um yeah lots of love to everybody hearing hearing that word covid now and thinking about lockdowns because i know it's a big time for my my friends down in um um during that time and as a way of coping with with all of those things and also processing this idea of decolonization i was writing and making art um i also came out during that time i left a um my partnership with um the guy i was with at the time and the dog in the house and um started dating women um and i at the same time i think all of the stress of all the things that were going on in my personal life as well as this world life um i got sick and i started having seizures and so there was this huge swell of life happening around me. And, and I think so many of our mob know this experience of living inside the colony, feeling and experiencing um, the systems of oppression that operate upon us and around us all of the time, having our own personal uh, challenges happening within that realm, and then um, wanting to express or that experience in a meaningful way. And returning is the result of all of that, I think, yeah. Oh, that's so much to be, I guess, expressing in such a poem. I have looked through your wonderful collection of poems here and just just this I know the assortment of themes I re- think really I could I could really connect to. Um mm. and so I wondered if you might be able to um speak to us a bit about why was it the the like the bushfires and floods, for example, that were sort of like prevalent in your thinking when it came to returning? Yeah, I mean it was written during that time. Um, and it's also something that's happening around us all the time. Our ability to care for country um, while being locked out of country with lockdowns um, or, um, you know, with land ownership being largely held with uh, with the riches means that we don't always get to have con- control over how our country is cared for. And therefore, we witness the effects of, um, of climate change and great climate um, and environmental disaster and can feel really helpless in that experience. And Bindi, my verse novel, explores that in great detail, which I was writing simultaneously. So there was this kind of kid's verse novel, thinking about that happening at while I was also, you know, deep in the delving of writing poetry and making art about that experience. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Like it, this book, <laughs> it covers many, many different themes. There's justice and liberation. Um, there's grief. There's also joy. There's a lot of joy in this book um, of and of the power of connecting with country and family in a time where it was challenging to do so, um, and also connecting from a really true version of myself because I'd I'd come out, you know, and um, yeah, and I was just so overjoyed when I got to be with my mob during that time, as I think we all were, the, the importance of connection um, for my mental health, for my well-being, but just for my sense of self were really, really powerful. Yeah, beautiful. I I feel like I can relate to a lot of those experiences. And so for me, I just really value you, I guess, being so open about all of this and giving us a glimpse into this journey, like of your life's journey, which is just incredible. I noticed as well that some of your poems, you've incorporated language. And so I was wondering if you could speak to some of the inclusion there and perhaps like what was either the languages or what was the importance for you to be including it? Yeah, I mean, um, so I grew up on Gunungara country and some of this collection was written on Gunungara. I currently live on Tharawal and there's a mix of, um, yeah, some Gumiya Tharawal and some Jiringanj language in there as well, which is the language that my mum 
Um, my mom grew up on that country and uh, we have direwolf ties through my pop side of the family. So, um, yeah, I've got a lot of lot of love. Annie Velma Mulcahy, um, Annie Sharon Halls and the work of Jim Barrett, um, Ray Timbery, uh, Joel Deves, Ado Webster, Jacob Morris. Um, yeah, these these boys have, have been really important as well if, in shaping my language learning journey. And I I wouldn't be able to speak or or write in these languages without the time spent on country with these precious people working in language conservation. So, yeah, I just feel really lucky that, yeah, and, and, and Drewy Longbottom too, you know, in that mix, um, that they taught me taught me language. And um, language is such a powerful way that we connect with country. You know, it, it enables us to communicate with country because we're speaking her language. And um, it's something that has been kept outside of us, held back from us because of our history of, you know, my grandparents were raised on missions and told not to speak language. Um, my mum was taken, so had no one to teach her language and um, was raised separate from her, her family. And the, I think, returning to language, coming back to language and providing opportunity to speak and teach and share that with young people especially has been something that's been a really important part of, um, yeah, being grounded in my culture and, and on my country, wherever that is, and with my family and um, feeling like there's that language is always going to be around and like I have a contribution to that is has been an important part of my, I think, my life work, like beyond poetry, teaching language and being involved in facilitation projects around teaching language and like the Poetry in First Languages project that I ran with Red Room Poetry. So on this theme, as we've sort of discussed, like you're talking about some of the challenges the country's facing. So talking about fires and flooding, which is a cycle that we have gone through for years and years. Here in Victoria, I can, I'm quite familiar with that experience being from like Country Vic. Um, I remember the Black Saturday bushfires impacted us quite greatly. And it is very difficult, I feel like, to see country suffering on this periodic sort of timeline um, in a way that feels completely unnecessary. And then just like reflecting on some of the things that you've spoken about. So acknowledging these challenges of country, talking about speaking, um, you know, talking about acknowledging language through your work and how this is really speaking the language of the country we're on. I was wondering if you could speak to that idea again of the fact that decolonization is more than a metaphor, because I know it's like a term we throw around a bit. Um, I feel like hearing about it in terms of action is something that's very important. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's the the opening poem within this collection is called Tidal, um, and it's about this correlation between uh, gendered violence that we were witnessing um, in politics at the time, which, I mean, it's still unfolding, um, and then also the things that were going on at that time. So this was the floods up on Bundjalung country at that time. Um and how there's a statement that says on on screen, police are indiscreet with euphemism, casting climate change as hot flush, assault as allegation. We change the station, understanding, denial and gendered violence are everywhere. So there's this, um, I think there's this similarity that we experience in um, the things that are happening on a political scale as blackfellas in the world that we exist within and then our own personal responses and experiences of that on country um, and a helplessness that we can feel within that. And that's definitely what I was feeling when I wrote this particular poem title about that experience of, um, you know, climate and, and gendered violence. And I mean, it's gendered violence because it's violence against our mother, right? Who we all come from, this beautiful earth. And so, yeah, when I think about decolonization as action in those ways, um, having these conversations is decolonial because it's naming the feeling of and the experience of what's going on from it, which enables you to go, ah, oh, this is something that is being 
put upon us or something that's happening around us, which I'm not innately a part of. This is a colonial system and a construct. And then to step outside of that and go, what action can I take that enables me to be full and strong in my culture um, outside of what has been prescribed for me um, and put upon me within my culture? And so, yeah, I think it's been a, it's, it's a conscious thought process that's kind of unraveled in the writing of this book, but action wise, um, it looks like many things for many people, decolonization. And this is just my journey with it. Everybody has their own and it's probably more indigenizing than decolonizing because of what I said before, you can't give back land and life. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, we all have our own actions every time we sit and reflect and notice ourselves within the system. Every time we refuse, say, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. And at the moment, my out of office reads like, hey, I'm I'm decolonizing my life and my work. I have these projects that I'm running and that are really important to me and my family and my community. And um, I'm prioritizing those. So I'll come back to you, but it'll be on my time, um, which was inspired by, yeah, Ella Bancroft's out of office, Sissy out there on Bundjalung Country. Um, and so it's actions like that, say like refusal or... Um, it's choosing the kinds of spaces that you want to be in black spaces or engaging and spending more time outside on country. So at the, I broke in a Brumby recently um, and I've been spending a lot of time out bush and it's a part of my every day. So I schedule my meetings around this time that I spend outside working this horse. So he's not trampling country. Um, yeah. And I think there's the poems have just been, a response to that experience within myself, checking myself, noticing when I'm refusing, noticing when I'm wanting to be connected to the earth or to family and culture and um, including those. And then also real-time takes of responses to things happening in the world. So like there's a poem in here about when Scott Morrison had said, uh, there's no slavery. There was never still slavery in Australia. There's a poem about that. There's a poem about an experience called The System um, when the intervention was happening in the territory and dry communities were being rolled out and our children were being taken at 10. There's a poem about that, you know, um, real-time responses to my observation and then the actions that I take around that. And I understand like this poem, like from a, like a, a words point of view, right. And I like, look at me, I'm not using the greatest language for it, but you have, you've jam packed it with so many morsels there. But at the same time, we actually have a poetic visual feast of the actual book itself. And so I was wondering if you could speak to the role that I guess like the visual experience plays in someone reading Returning. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this was originally an exhibition and I worked with a bunch of incredible mentors. So I had 17 First Nations people engaged in the original exhibition um, to guide me in my creative process. So some were part of filmmaking. Um, I had... Uh, elders and artists mentor me. And then I created works in response to this idea of decolonization and tried to pare back my process so it was as earth-based as possible. So I was making possum skin cloaks, um, using going walking on country, collecting eucalyptus, and then plant dyeing silk scarves with um, Stephanie Beaupark, um, collecting materials around me, plants around me, and learning to weave with Kylie Caldwell, um, sitting with David Cragg, who paints really beautiful landscapes and yarning with him about incorporating landscape within my art using acrylics and, and paints and pencils. Um, and then, yeah, sitting by those academics and elders and, and all of their readings and their conversations um, and and pulling those in, like my possum skin cloak with Annie Loretta Parsley. So 
I think the artworks were originally exhibited in an exhibition called Returning in 2021. And then the poems were written either simultaneously in response to or as a guide for. So response poems where the poem is a response to the artwork is called an ekphrastic poem. And then the opposite poem first artwork afterwards would be a reverse ekphrasis. Um, And then the poems themselves are sometimes they're concrete poems. So they look like the shape of the thing. You know, there's little dashes stitching together the poem lines and sentences and words for the possum skin cloak poem. And sometimes they're works that fuse text and art together. So for oneness, there is a poem that is a stem cell of a eucalyptus in the center with the rings of the text spreading out like the rings of a tree. Um, talking about this idea that we have oneness with these, with these elder trees, with these spirits that live in the trees. Incredible. And so you've described there as well, so that um, some of these poems were created in response to certain artworks. Um, was there any space in which uh, you had a poem that you wanted to say that didn't really fit in with any of the artworks from returning or were you able to always sort of pair these things up? Um, I think they were mostly paired. They The the work itself, yeah, you can hear that I've, I've jam-packed a lot of things in there. This, <laughs> and spread across many themes. Um, but this is just every black fella I know, right? No one's staying in the lane. We're all doing multiple things. We're but, very yeah. complex um, creative beings who have all of these different experiences happening at once. So there's, there is joy, there is grief, there is challenging the system and refusal and, um, and leaning in. Yeah. So they're broken into ochre and eco glitter, kin and country, rage and grace, and then healing. So the four sections, I think really help people to navigate this, the way around the poems and the artworks. Um, and yeah, they kind of, they happen pretty organically, I guess, the works themselves being paired together. And as a process for any of the artists or poets listening, um, it was creating the document with all of the poems and then creating all of the artworks with the poems, whatever that looked like, whichever way it happened first, and then photographing or scanning those works up into a big folder and sharing that with Melina, who is the incredible cadet at Magabala that I was paired with. And she's just amazing. And I also got to work with Rachel Binsala, you know, gold standard black publisher in Australia. She's just so brilliant. She's been across so many incredible First Nations writers. Um, and yeah, worked with Magabala on this one. And they're they're phenomenal. They're just such um such grounded storytellers and really trusted me to create a visual poetry project, which to my knowledge is the first collection like this at Magabala, which mm. is entirely art and poetry side by side as a visual poetry collection. Well, it definitely feels like something very unique and special. And this might be a silly question, um, but this is me as like an amateur, like I'm not a poet. I'm just someone who enjoys the poems. Um, But there's also like, I guess, like a very distinctive way that the text is laid on the page for many of your poems. And some of them have really interesting shape or use of um, like unusual uh, punctuation and stuff like that. Is there anything you can say about the role that the text plays and that sort of design element for returning? Yeah, I think that's another way that I wanted to decolonize writing. You know, um, the the trick of black writers, I think, is that we take we we've mastered the English language enough to be able to communicate really well and tell these great stories, and then we've got sixty thousand years of storytelling without those conceptual kind of parameters around it. Um, and so, yeah, the black writers I love to read really mess around with that and play around with that. And so you're seeing this play, this cheekiness with punctuation, um, the scattering of letters, you know, where I'm talking about the whale migration, the word migration is stretched along a line um, so that you can see this is a whale moving up and down the coast. 
when there's, um, you know, leaves or flowers falling from a lemon myrtle, you can see the letters cascading down the page and falling. When someone is twisting and swaying while they're doing a pippy dance, there's this um, parallel or conversation happening in the shape of the words laid out on the page. And you've got these black beauty standards on one side, you know, this way, this organic, beautiful way that all of the black women I know are beautiful um, because they're part of country and we love country and she's beautiful. And then you've got this very rigid kind of white way and they sit side by side. So there's these two stories, these two worlds that we walk in when we're thinking about how we move in the world. Um, so yeah, it's been very intentional how each of the pages has been laid out. And Grace Lucas Pennington is my editor and gosh, Grace is just, yeah, she's phenomenal. This is our, I think third or fourth book together. Um, and she's watched me go from baby poet to, you know, someone who's a bit more experimental with a work like returning and just kept pulling me back into a more bold version of myself as a writer. And yeah, I got a lot of love for you, Grace. That's, I, it brings sincerely just like a massive grin to my face at hearing about your really wonderful supportive team because it's incredible, incredibly important and comes together to support you to create something that's just very special and something that just stands out among any other work. I, yeah, I, I can't overstate. No, I can't understate. Okay, look, I have to emphasize just how visually appealing, how beautiful this piece is and my encouragement to all listeners to go out and to get yourself a beautiful copy of this work. I did, um, I guess, want to finish up by asking, um, had you had any sort of hopes for what readers might either keep in mind or consider while they're reading Returning? Um, I hope they just take the time to soak with this collection in whichever way feels good for them. Um, I've got, you know, friends who will, who will read a poetry collection front to back one thing after another. Uh, but I think however this collection finds its way to you to trust that and to um, allow yourself time to sit and soak on a page. I was saying yesterday that there's kind of a subliminal thing happening in the artworks, which you might not notice when you first pick up a work. So um, as you open, read, read the foreword, start there because <laughs> um, it will give you the context for how to read this collection. But there's a, the page, um, the last page in the foreword starts with, it is a journal of unfurling and remembering all the ways I know how to come back to old ways, country, community, and through them back to me. And there's this image of a, a red uh, a red artwork with a blood cell in the center and these kind of river lines cascading and spiraling out of it. And I made this work in response to, I think at the time Santiago Sierra had just been commissioned for MoMA, for Dark Mofo. And he wanted to create that work where he was asking mob First Nations people from all over the world to donate blood to spill it over a Union Jack flag as an artwork. And community were up in up in arms, of course. We were like, we don't need to spill more flag, more, more blood on a flag or under a flag or over it on this land to prove that we exist and mm -hmm. that we have been colonized. This is not what we need to do. And so all of the work at the time that he was using to generate this kind of conversation was a particular color red. And I used a dripper tool to take the red and extract that and use that as the basis for this artwork. And then I pulled in this blood cell and I bought out these river lines. So you're looking at it, looking at a blood cell, seeing a red shape and all of these patterns around it. But perhaps you're not necessarily knowing that story. And I think even in the looking and the feeling of witnessing that work, you're still responding to an experience that we know as mob, which is there is resistance in us, there is joy in us. Um, this is a shared experience of decolonizing and uncoupling from 
you know, white supremacist thinking or um, oppression upon us and instead staying in places of refusal and, and power and joy and love and can and that all of that is intimately connected with country and kin and community. And, yeah, I hope you carry that lens to reading Returning and I can't wait to hear what you think. That is so excellent. Congratulations, Curly, on just a wonderful work. Um, a reminder to our listeners that you can get it now. So it has launched this November, which is very exciting, um, available at all good bookstores. And uh, that just word of advice to just take your time, find the way that it finds you and to uh, soak in the pages, the artwork, that experience. Uh, Curly, thank you so much for your time and all the best for your future work. Yeah, didn't you, my sis. We are soon. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Indigenuity a weekly radio show hosting conversations with Indigenous knowledge holders showcasing all forms of Indigenous ingenuity. Indigenuity is broadcast live on Triple R every Sunday afternoon. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website or Twitter at IndigenuityAU.